The first reading can be found on page 971 of the Pew Bibles. It's from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, starting at verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is from the first book of Timothy, and it's chapter 2, and it's verses 1 to 7, and it's on page 1191. I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Saviour, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. And for this purpose I was appointed, a herald and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying, and a teacher of the true faith to the Gentiles. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the freedom we have 
to read your word. Please speak to our hearts now and teach us something of your truth this morning. Amen. Last week, we heard from the Old Testament where God spoke to Daniel and he told him not to be afraid. Fear can be quite a a crippling sensation, can't it? Something we all know about from time to time. But God said, do not be afraid because he would be with Daniel. Three or four times in that short reading from Matthew's gospel, Jesus tells us quite simply, do not worry. Worry is a related sensation to fear, if not exactly the same thing, really. Yesterday, I went to hear Michael Harvey speak about how we might become an inviting church rather than merely a welcoming one. It's an interesting nuance, inviting rather than welcoming. And he touched on this very subject of fear and worry. He spoke very, very well, and I do recommend you listen to him if you have the opportunity. I think the recordings of the um, talk yesterday will be on Holy Trinity Coombe Down's website, so do uh, search them out if you're interested to hear more. Fear, he said, is endemic to our society. We talk of fear, worry, anxiety, stress, which all have the same root, really. Crippling, life-spoiling feelings which affect us all. Fear is different, has a different shape for each person. Some people are afraid of heights. Some are afraid of the dark. Others fear failure or maybe loneliness. Some fears seem, on the face of it, quite reasonable and others less so. I shared a room when I was at university with a girl who was terrified of tortoises. I don't know why, but she was, she really was. I wonder what it is that you worry about. Jesus says, do not worry. He came that we might have life in all its fullness, and that doesn't include being crippled by fear or worry or anxiety. Whatever we call it, we know that feeling deep inside, don't we? Jesus says, do not worry. Last week, my eye was caught by the most beautiful outfit. It was in vibrant shades of blue and white, gently blended into striking yet delicate combinations that was just dazzling in the autumn sunshine. Of course, I'm not talking about a dress or a shirt. I'm talking about the beautiful, delicate delphinium in my garden that has, much to my surprise, thrown up another spire of flowers. When the leaves on the trees are beginning to turn and the sunshine has become just a little bit more watery, we don't expect to see something so vibrant and summery come to life. But much to my surprise, and due, I suppose, to the warmth of this last September, it has sprung to life. It's captivatingly beautiful as it sways in the breeze, 
It reminds me of the summer heat and it's caused me to pause and just drink in its beauty more than once as I've passed it in the last few days. How beautiful, how delicate, how pointless one might think. Why would God go to such trouble to make that beautiful flower? Although the Industrial Revolution turned most of us into town dwellers quite some time ago, many of us still relish our little patch of garden with lawn and flowers and maybe even a vegetable patch. Some of you, with lots of energy, might even enjoy an allotment where even though you could simply pop down to Sainsbury's or Morrison's for potatoes or tomatoes, you take great delight in nurturing your own. For those that garden, there's a certain restfulness, a satisfaction that comes from being connected with the seasons, seeing seeds sprout and grow, flourish and bear harvest. Vegetables you've grown yourself seem to taste so much better than ones you buy, don't they? You may be aware that traditionally the church year also makes provision to be connected with this rural rhythm. There's Plough Sunday in January where we pray for farm implements, followed by Rogation Days in May when we pray for favourable weather for crops. Later on, we have Lamas Day, which was all about baking bread with the very first corn of the harvest in August. We made it into a loaf to give thanks. And then, of course, since the 19th century, we've also celebrated the harvest as we're doing this morning. It's a time to pause in thankfulness for God's faithfulness to us, his mercy and his provision before the circle of agricultural activity starts all over again. Traditionally, we decorate the church and we bring our offerings to God to say a heartfelt thank you to him for the way he has walked with us through the whole year. This year, in our harvest celebrations, we're making a mixture of old and new, really. Our building is just festooned with beautiful flowers and vegetables and fresh-baked bread. Haven't the flower team done a magnificent job? I think they're beautiful. Thank you, ladies. But in a world where only 1.5% of our workforce works in agriculture, we've chosen that our offerings of thankfulness would be mostly in the form of financial gifts that will go to support those in our urban environment who have so much less than we do, perhaps not even a roof over their own heads. The fruits of our labours, for most of us, can't be eaten. I wonder what the offering basket would look like if we did fill it with our first fruits and gave them back to God. What would be in it, I wonder? Maybe a stethoscope? A school book? A house brick? A pile of ironing? Take a moment to tell your neighbour what would best represent your labours if you were to bring it back to God and put it in that basket in thankfulness. What would we have in there? Take a moment.
There's a lot of smiles around the room. Perhaps that's at the idea of bringing our work before God. Perhaps it's a ridiculous idea to put it in a basket. But it could be an interesting conversation that we could continue over our harvest lunch together. How can we bring all that we do in God, uh, do to God in prayer and ask him to use it for the extension of his kingdom? I guess money's easier for us, but it is a good thought, isn't it? How do we honor God with all that we do? The point is that most of us contribute to our society in ways other than farming for which we're paid. However it is that we earn our living, it's still good to pause and give thanks to our Heavenly Father for his provision to us. For all good things do come from God, and it's good to give thanks back to him. In our reading from Paul's letter to Timothy, we saw that thanksgiving is included in Paul's instructions on important matters to young Timothy, because it pleases God our Saviour, and we should therefore follow suit. In a few weeks' time, we'll be looking further in our sermon series on prayer into prayers of thankfulness. But for now, a thankful heart is a very important thing. Sometimes it's very easy to notice things which we don't have in life and to become anxious. Paul's letter to the church in Philippi is one of joy in the midst of some challenging circumstances. And in it, Paul urges the church. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. God, our Heavenly Father, knows us intimately, and he loves us. He knows what we need, and yet, as we do with our children, he loves for us to ask his help. Worrying won't make us grow any taller or live any longer. In fact, perversely, it might even have an adverse effect. These practical matters are the sorts of things that non-believers worry about, we're told. As members of Jesus' family, perhaps we should be different. Just as a human parent has special care for their own children, so God shows special care for his children. Asking for his help in everything is an altogether better plan than worry. Jesus offers us the illustration of the animals and the flowers who are the recipients of God's care, even though they don't have that special relationship with him that we're invited into. Just like my beautiful delphinium, they can be breathtakingly beautiful, far more so than any well-dressed celebrity. They don't put any effort into achieving it themselves. If God provides food for the animals and he makes the flowers spectacularly beautiful, how much more is he going to care for his own precious children, for you and for me? Jesus reminds us that there are more important things to concern ourselves with than food and drink and clothes. He suggests we should focus on his kingdom and his righteousness, living well. 
Now, he doesn't say exactly what kind of reward we can expect, but he does make it clear that pursuing earthly treasure is not of enduring value, and no one can argue with that, really. Who hasn't had a moth ruin their favourite cashmere jumper? And even a Ferrari will eventually rust away. It's sad, but true, that nice things can take over our lives. We work hard to achieve them, and somehow they can end up being more important to us than we meant them to be. If you watched the BBC series of Sherlock in more recent years, you might remember the occasion when Sherlock worked out where the villain kept her treasure, because when the fire alarm, alarm sounded in her building, her anxious glance betrayed the location of the safe. Where your treasures are, the Bible says, there will be your heart also. If you're motivated by riches or the good opinion of others around you, then Jesus says you may well get it. But that will be all. Few people actually set out to let other things take God's place in their life. But most of us end up doing it occasionally. Whether it's the pursuit of material wealth, the good opinion of, of others, or simply the need for security, it's so easy to make choices that don't really honor God. From time to time, it's good to take the opportunity to refocus our relationship with God and to be thankful. Jesus says, if we learn to love him here and now, we will have treasure, both now and in the future. Your heavenly Father sees you and knows your deepest thoughts, your hopes and your fears. As we learned last week, he hears the words you say when you pray, and he also hears the things you can't even put into words but he, we lay them before him anyway. One theologian has said, prayer is a mystery. It's about heaven and earth coming together, the God of the universe making his home in you and in me. What a spectacular thought. As we let the influence of God's kingdom grow in our hearts, we will increasingly find we live in a way that may well puzzle the world because God's priorities are not the world's priorities. It's not about advancing our own wealth and influence or ruling out responsible concern to be good stewards even. Jesus is not suggesting we shouldn't work hard, but rather he's talking about putting God first in everything. If we do that, we will find increasingly we do work hard we live simply and give generously so that we might follow that Old Testament imperative to help the needy and promote the gospel message in word and in deed. To paraphrase Micah 6, it reminds us that he has shown you, O people of Walcott, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, to act justly and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. 
Verse 33 of our reading from Matthew is our key verse this week. It tells us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In the Greek, seek is a present imperative tense. That will mean more to some of you than others, I suppose. But suggesting it does, that it's something we ought to do and keep on doing. Jesus is talking about practical discipleship that commits daily to finding God's will and to doing it. Jesus is clearly not denying that there could be some challenging days ahead. There's no uh, promise of an easy life if you decide to follow him, none whatsoever. Indeed, he says each day will have its own troubles. But if our first and greatest priority is to pursue God's will for our lives, we will know his blessing. We will know life in all its fullness. Is that not an appealing thought? In a moment, we'll focus our attention on the communion table and we'll tell again the story of Jesus' spotless life and death and resurrection. In receiving the gifts of bread and wine at communion, we'll remind ourselves of the greatest gift that anyone has ever given, God's gift of himself in his son, Jesus, given for you and for me, that we might once again live in relationship with our heavenly father, knowing with certainty that he loves us and he cares for our every need. Perhaps as you approach the table to receive, you might ponder the delicate intricacy of the flowers and the fruit and the leaves that surround us, and allow yourself to notice how truly beautiful they are, all unique, all stunning. How much care our Creator God has taken to make each one. Our reading today reminds us how much more important than these beautiful flowers you are to your Heavenly Father. If you know and love the Lord Jesus as saviour and friend, I invite you to come forward and receive these gifts of ordinary things, the fruit of our earthly harvest, bread and wine. But as you receive them, be reminded of that most extraordinary gift, the gift of life eternal, and come with thankful hearts. Jesus does not promise to take away the sources of our worry, but rather to be with us as we face the challenges of our life and to help us triumph over them, to give us hope in an uncertain world. One of our more popular contemporary songs reminds us in these words, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Christ alone is our cornerstone, weak made strong, that's me and you.
in the Saviour's love, through the storm, he is Lord, Lord of all. When darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. Jesus came that we might truly have life in all its fullness. And he says to you today, do not worry. To conclude, I'm going to quote our key verse for today from the Message Bible. Jesus says, Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. Amen. We're going to sing together now that song, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less. Let's stand to sing. <laughs> <laughs>